0: Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 starts out, finally. Okay, we are looking at a book that has four chapters, four chapters in the book of Philippians. This is chapter 3 verse 1. That means we are what percentage of the way through the book of Philippians? 50% of the way through the book of Philippians and Paul says, finally. Okay, you just need to know this is not a preacher tactic to keep you engaged. Okay, that's not what's happening here. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So, chapter 3 starts off with a warning. And the reason he says finally, it means as to, the word finally means as to what remains. Okay, everything that's going to follow, watch this now. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So finally what? The command here is to rejoice. Why? Because... Our joy in the Lord is the source of our victory. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 tells you that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you're weak in your walk, if you're weak in your faith, you don't have the joy of the Lord. Between your flesh, uh, this lost world system, and the God of this world, they're all working to steal your joy. Did you know that? The devil loves stealing the faith of God's people. He loves stealing the joy of God's people because he knows that's how he short-circuits them. So if you don't have joy, you have no strength. Your joy in the Lord is the key to your victory. See, as a Christian, here's how this works. Every single day you live your life, you're walking in victory. Every single day is a miracle because you saw God working in your life. It was amazing how he used you to encourage another Christian this week. How he used you to share Christ in the life of another believer this week. And and you saw it when it happened. It wasn't you, it was all God. It was how God was working through you. When you read your word, right, when you read the word of God, it just set your heart on fire. Why? Because God was revealing himself to you, and it was blowing your mind. God isn't hidden to you. He's your father. He's your friend. And as you spent time with him in his word and in prayer every day, he was just revealing himself to you face to face in his word. You have something with God that no earthly power can take away. Every, every day... Your life is unfolding. It's playing out exactly as God planned. You're an overcomer in your life. And you are now overcome in this life with joy. You've got joy this week because of what God's doing, because of who he made you, because what he's doing in your life. Am I describing you this morning? If not, why not, right? I mean, is that you? Some of you, you may be sitting there listening to that saying, well, I don't think that's how my day, I don't think that's how my week went. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I think this week my, my life might have gone from bad to boring at best. I had a ho hum, I, I had a humdrum week. Well, that's not how the engine of your life is supposed to be running. Did you know that? That's not how it's supposed to work. I mean, why be satisfied with only half of what God intended for you to have in your Christian walk? Why be satisfied with that? When you walk into the coffee shop and you buy a grande latte, you know, that comes with two shots. You get that, that's built into the price of the purchase. You get two shots of espresso in your grande latte. Why are you gonna be satisfied with just one? I mean, you paid for two. Why would, you, why would you do that? When you order a cheeseburger at Five Guys and you say I want a side of fries and they bring you that, they call your number and you go up and you pick up that sack of goodness, joy, and love. You pick that up and then you look in and there's three soggy fries are you content with that? I mean, you paid for fries, but you got three soggy ones? Come on. When you, when you go to get a job and you, you buy that suit because you want to look snappy in your interview, and they measure you, they fit the suit to you, and you get that suit back and the slacks, right? The trousers just go down to the knees. I bought a whole pair of pants. Why do I have a pair of shorty shorts? I mean, what in the world? Are you going to be satisfied with that? So why in the world would you only want half of God's plan for your life? It's like you walk, up, you walk up to the gospel kiosk and you say, I'll take the salvation special, but hold the joy of the Lord, please. I don't want that. I'll have heaven for dessert, but in the meantime, I'll take a big heaping dish of hell on earth. I want to be really miserable for as long as I can. No, that's not God's plan for your life. You're a child of God. You're supposed to have joy. You're meant to live a life of unspeakable, indescribable joy. Do you have it? Do you know that you have it in your life? See, we need to be put in remembrance of this. And that's not grievous, it's safe for us. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Joy is part of our relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, when you believe on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells your life, and then now the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5:22, is love, joy, peace, long. I mean, joy is a part of who you are in your relationship with God. It's what you have in your relationship with God. It's the fruit of the spirit. First Peter chapter one, verse six says, "Wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if it need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations." Yeah, you're facing a lot of different temptations, a lot of different ways, a lot of different kinds and yet you've got joy, you greatly rejoice that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish, perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen ye love, in whom, though ye see him, uh, though ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory." receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You could face great trial, great persecution, great conflict, and yet you're full of joy because you've got Christ in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, Rejoice evermore. Rejoicing is the command for God's people. So we got to be put in remembrance of that. And So point number two, get this down in your notes. Repetition is the price of learning. Repetition is the price of learning. Now, you notice I didn't do a review this week. That is the exception, not the rule. Why? Because repetition is the price of learning. Uh, My job, I'm personally convinced of this, my job is to repeat things so much so often that your response is, are you saying this again? (laughs) Okay, I did my job. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul understood the importance of this principle because you understand better, you know better, you apply better the things that you hear over and over. Hello, somebody. That's just how it works. This is why we have to be put in remembrance of the things that we already know. 1 Timothy 4, 6 says to Timothy, right, This this is how to be a good minister, 1 Timothy, Chapter 4, verse 6 says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. You've got to remind people over and over. They may know them, but you've got to remind them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul puts Timothy in remembrance to stir up the gift of God that was in him. In chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 Again, Timothy is commanded, ministers are commanded of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, but they strive not uh, about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. The word of God says, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. You know the focus that you ought to have, but I'm gonna remind you anyway, because that's safe for you. I spent a ton of money getting a math degree. I mean, a lot of money. Went, and, and went through an engineering program, got my engineering degree. I paid attention, I studied very hard. I paid all the dollars. Uh, I graduated third in my graduating class. Okay, I, I, I knew my stuff. But from that day to today, from the day I graduated to today, do you know how many times I've made sure to be put in remembrance of my maths? Guess how many times? A big fat zero, butkus. And so, Pastor Miles has an advanced math degree. Now I know where to send my kids for algebra tutoring. You better not. (laughs) You better not do that because... I will get your kid a big fat F in high school algebra. I mean, if you don't, if you don't stay put in remembrance of the things that you know, use it or lose it, right? That's just how that thing works, use it or lose it. I didn't use it, so I have lost it, and I knew it. There are things that I learned. There are things that I know, and yet I have none of it at my command. Did you know you can get out of the habit of the things of God? Did you know you can forget the simple things of God? If you don't stay accountable, if you don't stay plugged in, you're going to end up wandering off course. See, the day you forget, you're toast. Your mama knew that. That's why every time you went potty, she started yelling. What would she yell? She heard that toilet flush, and then what she, would what'd she yell at you? Wash your hands! I mean, just a hundred times wash your hands! Wash your hands! Why? Because poopy hands don't go on the sandwich. That's how that works. Some of you, God help you, you didn't get put in remembrance of that enough. You probably used the bathroom in this building this morning, walked right out like the sink wasn't even there. (laughs) Good night. It's not grievous to be put in remembrance of the things that we know. And so Paul here is saying, I'm reminding you. So don't look at me like I'm crazy. Don't roll your eyes at me. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. This is why you as a believer in Christ can never take the been there, done that attitude. You can't do that. We've got to all be put in remembrance of even the very basics of biblical Christianity. We have to be reminded of the first things. The fundamentals are the key. If we're going to have a ministry that's moving forward in faith, that's obedient to the things that the Lord's commanded, we've got to stay focused on the fundamentals the ABCs of the Bible. Do you, did you read your Bible this week? Did you study it? Were you in it every day? Did you talk to God every day? These are fundamentals. Don't say you have a relationship, a right relationship with somebody you never listened to or talked to, right? right? My wife and I have a great relationship. We haven't talked for a month, but we have a great relationship, liar. That's not how that works, See, don't forget this. This is the most important thing you can invest in, growing your relationship with God. That's everything. So it's good for us to hear, to often hear the same things over and over, the same truths, to revive the remembrance, to strengthen what we know are priorities scripturally. So get this down in your notes. You want to beware. It is a wanton curiosity to desire always to hear some new thing and to be bored with Bible fundamentals. Did you get that? It's just, you know, it's just your, it's your truth sweet tooth, right? You want to hear some new thing all the time, and the ABCs of biblical Christianity, you don't care about those things. Those things don't excite you, they bore you. Tell me something, tell me something sensational, pastor. Give me some, I, I We've got discipleship down. We, we've got the basics of Bible doctrine down. Tell me something that'll make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Okay, you know, every once in a while, we'll, we'll come across something that maybe you've never heard before, and it will make, it'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I mean, you'll hear it, and you'll get goosebumps. Okay, praise the Lord for doctrinal dessert. Amen? Amen. Uh, but if you try to take, I mean, think about this physically. It's the meat, the potatoes, and the veggies, right? It's the, it's the meat and the bread and the veggies that give you the building blocks and the strength and the nourishment to have a healthy life. If all you're getting is cheesecake, I mean, there's nothing wrong with cheesecake. Can I get an amen? Amen. Glory to God. I mean, cheesecake. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you're ever eating, you're not going to be healthy. You're going to get messed up. Uh, You have to have the building blocks. 2 Timothy chapter 4 tells us what happens when people go to seed doctrinally. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They refuse to be put in remembrance of it. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tell me something awesome, Pastor. I mean, if you're a good pastor, forget that sandbox stuff. Let's get into the deep things of God's word. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables and so what ends up happening is is the ABC's Jesus loves me the ABC's of, of, of good Bible doctrine nobody cares about that it's all about you know I know what the Bible says but I think my real mission now is to make sure everybody knows that masks don't work and with vaccines in conjunction with vaccines this is the gateway to the mark of the beast what that's your mission now huh I know what the Bible says, but I heard that you can achieve your life goals by just envisioning them on the screen of your mind every day while you chant encouragements to yourself. I'm a good person, and gosh darn it, people like me. I mean, you just, and don't act like that's crazy because you know there are Christians who read and they, I mean, they read their weekly horoscopes and they take them, they live their lives by a horoscope. Are you kidding me? We have a more sure word of prophecy that we would do well to take heed unto. Come on. See, we gotta hold each other accountable to basic doctrine. We gotta hold each other accountable to the Bible's truth. That's your next two blanks. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, right? I mean, man, praise the Lord. We're not gonna forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're not gonna do that. That's why whenever the quarantine was put in place, we doubled down online. But how many know that can't work indefinitely. A live stream can't hold you accountable. So we got Zoom, right? We got Zoom, but you know, we, we, we recognize people end up disconnecting on some level. You've got to come together, right? We need to come together in order to, what? Provoke one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching, Christ's return is soon. And we need to encourage one another. We need to be together. Now, you know, we can assemble online. Uh, Praise the Lord for the internet. You know, if there's a bad ice storm, we've had ice storms in Kansas City in the past that have shut down the church for two or three weeks. right? We've had those kind of things. Now we live in a day and age where we can still get together. We can still assemble and praise the Lord for that. Uh, That's how... The Renaults are assembling with us right now. We're sending a team, right? So, so the Renaults, um, um, uh, Treasure Side Bottom, uh, now the Toadies are moving there. Soon, soon we'll have uh, the Merits joining the team, and, and eventually they'll be able to assemble together in that place. But in the meantime, they're assembling with us online, and as best we can, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to provoke one another to love and to good works. But at the end of the day, you need a hug. You need somebody lovingly to tell you, stop with stupid and let's follow the things of God. Don't we all need that from time to time? I know I need that. You need that. There are things that we have to remind each other of that we need to get eyeball to eyeball and speak the truth in love. So here's one. Look at verse two. Paul wants to remind us of the dangers. There are dangers to the joyful Christian life. You know, the enemy... His goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He'll steal your joy if he can. And so he says, don't let the dogs have it. Point number three, beware the opposition. Opposition is your next blank. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Beware means keep your eye on the dog. Watch them. Now, you know I'm generally (laughs) pro-dog. And I'm anti-cat as a rule. But uh, there is a negative side to dogs that we need to watch and we need to look at this morning. And so here's what you need to watch. Have you ever noticed what a dog's into? It's amazing to me how much the Bible says about dogs. And it's not good, right? A lot of it's really gross. Number one, so canine the- Biblical Canine Theology 101. We can, we'll start a Bible school class here this morning, Brandon. Maybe we can think about that. Number one, dogs are greedy, Isaiah 56. Greedy dogs. That's what the Bible says about them. Dogs are seen as greedy. You ever watch how dogs behave in a group? They're gobbling down their food while they're coveting yours, right? I mean, whatever's, whatever's in the next dish over, that's mine. And so they'll, you, 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 have you seen the videos of dogs In dishes, there's like dishes in a circle, and the dogs are just eating in circles, because every dog is trying to get everything, and they'll just keep going round and round. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. That's the dog. That's the dog motto. I can feed my dog, right? Earl's the worst. I mean, he's awesome, but he's the worst. Okay, so Earl, he can have a full belly, and then if I sit down to eat, he's right there. Like, why you gotta be such a hog, Miles? Why, you're going to eat all of that? You pig, you know, you could give me some. And you'll hear him crying and lamenting over my greediness. I'm like, man, I fed you first, you jerk. And yet it's not enough. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. Dogs, according to the Bible, are unworthy. Uh, According to Matthew 15, dogs are not worthy of the master's best, the term dog in Scripture is used to describe someone who is filthy or spiritually impure. That's why the Jewish people referred to the Gentile nations, the Gentile peoples, as dogs. And it wasn't a compliment. It's because they were not pure unto the Lord. They weren't pure before the Lord. Number three, according to Luke chapter 16, dogs are nasty. Nasty is your next blank. And you know God—you know dogs are nasty. Luke 16, dogs are pus lickers. Puss-licking dogs. Have you ever licked pus? Mmm, delicious. No, it's gross. You don't lick pus. Dogs are so gross that according to Proverbs, they eat their own barf. Look at Proverbs twenty-six, eleven: As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. And no wonder, okay, because you know the best part of a dog's day is when a dog gets to know another dog, what does he do? Let the whole church say yuck. Nasty. I mean, who lives like that? (laughs) Why does a dog live like that? Well, here's the bottom line for a dog, their focus is on their flesh. Did you get that? For a dog, the focus is on their flesh. Dogs enjoy nasty things, and they're only looking out for number one. You say, but dogs, man's best friend. Yeah, that's because you feed them. Their focus is on their own flesh. Look down at verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They're not about the finished work and the sacrifice of Christ. Dogs encompass Christ at Calvary, Psalm 22:16. 16. No, their God is their belly. Their glory is in their nastiness, in their shame. They mind earthly things. Yeah, dog's man's best friend because you pet him, you scratch him where he likes it, you rub his belly, and you're the one that feeds him. And all of it's a focus on the flesh. Dogs are carnal. The dog motto is, live for the now, dude, right? That's the motto of a dog. But there are others whose focus on the flesh manifests in a little different way. You know, dogs can also be great sources of opposition, That's why the verse goes on. Beware evil workers. Dogs guard their territory, don't they? I mean, the mailman shows up, they flip out, uh, which is just aggravating to me. Okay, so Earl's a screamer. Sometimes I could just throttle him. I I don't. He's a happy, well-adjusted little dog, but he screams every time he thinks something's going on with the door. I don't know about your dog, but my dog, if there is a doorbell on the TV, he just flips out. And my older dog, Maggie, she he's trained her now. So now we've got the tenor and the bass just going nuts, you know. <laughs> it's great. Sorry, is, that the door? Sorry, is that the door? I'm gonna kill him. You know, and they're just going and I'm like, okay, I know, be quiet. We got it. And he won't shut up. They guard their territory. And they attack when they feel threatened. We've had people and we will, it'll it'll keep happening, we'll have people who will come into this church and when when things don't go their way, they attack. Uh, We had that happen just this last week. Guy wanted to bring in um, some kind of a hunting knife into the church and whenever security said, hey, you can't bring that in here, instead of saying reasonably, well, here, let me go lock that up in my car, he's provoking our security team. Why? Because somehow he felt threatened. I mean, he's got the knife. (laughs) By the way, Missouri law, you don't get to bring weapons to church. This is not actually public property. We, we get that, right? This is our house. This is private property. the private property of Midtown Baptist Temple. And the way the law reads is you can't bring, uh, you, you, you know, Kansas City is a carry town. You can carry in Kansas City. But the law says you can't carry it into a church. So if you just have to carry, you're going to coordinate that with the security team. Deal? That, is that reasonable? I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. In other words, we want to know you're not the person that if something, if it, gets, if, if it goes down at 40th and Walnut, I don't want you to shoot me. You know, because you Barney fifed it. That's not going to work, okay? That's, we just got to know you're not Barney Fife. Okay, so that's just how that, I think that's reasonable. I think it's a well-written law. Uh, so he doesn't get what he wants, and, and now he's at war. Why? Because there are evil workers. These are the kind of people that will try to join your Bible study so they can undermine the Bible or biblical principles or Bible doctrine to justify that you need to submit to their agenda. Can I just tell you your best defense against evil workers? Absent repentance, you can't work with an evil worker. Psalms 119, verse 115. Here's your answer. Depart from me, ye evil workers. Man, you just can't win with some people. So as long as they're committed to working evil, well, then they're not going to work with us. Depart from me, evil workers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. We have to keep the commandments of God because too many times, evil workers, they look and talk like us. They, uh, they're chameleons. Christ calls them dogs. He calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's the problem, is they kind of look like legit leaders, but but they're not. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15 describe them as false apostles, evil workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And it's no wonder, verse 14 says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Uh, there's, a, there's a satanic component to their ability to undermine the people, the church, the work, the doctrine of God. Uh, they've, they've got help. You read about their objectives and their goals in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just listen to this. In the last days, this know also, that in the last days a perilous times sh- shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's the greedy dog motivation. They're lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce uh, truce breakers. A truce baker would be somebody who comes up with a truce, but a truce breaker, okay, never mind. Truce breakers. You know, you can tell an evil worker because, you know, when it comes to a conversation about their evil work with their parents, it starts with a sigh. Mom or dad's like, I love Junior, right? Disobedient to parents. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, But denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of God. Psalm 119, verse 115. Verse 9 says they don't get away with it. They proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. See, the goal of the evil worker is for you not to follow Christ, but to follow them. For you not to follow the word of God, but to follow what they say. That's how you know an evil worker. They explain the Bible away, and here's why you have to follow their agenda. Follow my ideals, not the biblical mandate for your life. Check out Second Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says that they speak great words, great swelling words of vanity, empty talk. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that are clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise, they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servant of corruption. See, the Bible's keeping you down. And here's what you want in the flesh. If it feels good, do it. And here's why. What are they doing? They're they're pulling you away from the liberty that you have in following Scripture. They themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. So they promise liberty, but it's a path to bondage. And they cry out, Man, the Bible mission isn't important. Your life fulfilled is what matters, right? That's what matters. Are you happy? That's what matters. So follow me, not the Scriptures. And watch out when people are talking to you that way, when you're following anything else but Christ and the mission that he has for your life. When you're walking in other options apart from the biblical mandate, you're headed for bondage. Man, there's freedom In being Christ's bondservant. Dogs come in a third form, a third flavor. It says, beware of the concision. Beware of the concision. The concision, these are mutilators, right? They were the Judaizers. You say, what does that mean? What were they mutilating? Well, this will be uncomfortable, but here we go. Acts chapter 15 tells you what this is. Verse 1, certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So Gentile dudes want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be followers of the way. You got to be circumcised. Does everybody know what circumcision is? Um, This is the removal of the foreskin of the male member. Let the whole church say, oh. Okay, so what does that do for the ladies? I mean, how are the... How are the ladies going to be saved? <laughs> Except they be circumcised. I mean, come on, this is just crazy. And yet that's what they're saying. Watch this now, verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, <laughs> these guys' foreskins will not be put on your chopping block. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question and being brought on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. They're getting saved by grace through faith, not through foreskin removal. They cause great joy unto all the brethren. See, you need to get this down. This is true even today. You will see people who claim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they want to add works to grace. That's your next two blanks. They want to add your works, the works that you do in the flesh, they want to add that to grace. They want you to believe that the Christian life is lived by what you do and the power of your flesh. Then they were saying, you have to remove your foreskin in order to be saved. Paul calls them mutilators. They're not just mutilating the foreskin. Now, you've got liberty. You know, if you if you look at the data and you say, "I want my kids to be, you know, circumcised because I think they're going to have a more hygienic life and that'll save them some grief," or there's a family history or whatever, you're free to do that, but that doesn't give them a right relationship with God, right? And if you want to leave your boys all natural, you're free to do that, and that does nothing for them in terms of their relationship with God. But what happens is, is you'll have people who claim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're saved by grace through faith, but then you have to keep the law. But then you have to keep the feast. When the Bible explicitly in the book of Colossians, Romans, Galatians, I mean, the Bible's very clear. We're saved uh, through faith, ar- faith alone, by grace alone. And yet, the concision says it's by our works. No, it's the grace of God. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And so here's where it matters. Look at point number four. You've got to understand your biblical position. That's your next blank. This is the key to joyful living. Look at verse three. For we are the circumcision. Well, what? What? I, th- I thought circumcision didn't matter. Well, keep reading. Which worship God, here it is. Here's the key. In the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. See, we are the circumcision Spiritually. Spiritually, that's the case. That's true. We worship God not in the flesh, not in the foreskin or the removal of the foreskin. That's not how we worship God. We worship Him in the Spirit and rejoice our joy is in the person of Christ Himself. See, how you are physically identified or physically described does not matter. What you do physically, that does not earn you a right place with God. Check out Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. Who spiritually is a Jew? Watch this now. Verse 28. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, right? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the Spirit and not the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Give me just a second here. Somebody let a fly in the building, and I gotta kill him. Pray for me, brothers. Here we go. Beelzebub sent this guy in. Just land, just land. I I dare you, land okay he got scared I don't see him now yeah that's right you didn't want any of this okay look at Colossians 2 verse 1 how are we circumcised how are we the circumcision in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ okay how's that work When you believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you believed on the word of God, you became spiritually circumcised. How? Well, you got operated on by the word of God. It's called the operation of God made without hands. The scalpel is the word of God. The gospel of Christ, when when you believed on it, once that got access to your heart, it cut you away from yourself. Hebrews 4.12 tells you that the word of God is alive. The Word of God is quick. It's like whenever you bite your nails too much and you get down in the quick of the nail, the nail bed. That's the part that's alive, right? That's that word quick. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's amazing. The Word of God has the ability to take the spiritual part of you And cut it away from the physical, the fleshly part of you. And you have now been circumcised, cut away. Your flesh has been removed from you. You now have a dual nature. And you read about that in Romans chapter 7. There's the old man and the new man. And you're put off the desires of the old man. The the, the desires and the deeds of the flesh. And to walk in the new man. Walk in the word of God. In the person of God. In the spirit of God. And you can do that because you're no longer tied to your flesh. And now you're the literal fulfillment of John chapter four, verse 23. You are now a true worshiper. The hour now cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, nothing you do in the flesh, you can do nothing in the flesh that... That makes it so that you can connect to God. Just doesn't work. Can't do it. Not circumcision. It's not how you cut your hair or don't cut your hair. It's not how you cut your clothes, right? The length of your skirt. It's not how you look. It's not by the things that you do or don't do for the cause of Christ. It's all based on what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done in you. So we are the circumcision spiritually, watch this, we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, watch this now, and have no confidence in the flesh. So we have no confidence physically. Where were the circumcision spiritually? The inverse of that is we have no confidence physically. No confidence in the flesh. And this week was just a setup for next week. We're gonna look at verses four through eight, and this is where it'll get super uncomfortable. Uh, But let's review it. Can I give you some homework? And you prepare yourself for next week. Uh, What we're going to see in verses 4 through 8 is contrary to everything that the world is telling us we must view in terms of the flesh right now. There's a lot of conflict in America over pointing us to view who we are in the flesh. And without Christ, that's all people have. But look at Paul's perspective Okay, he's part of God's chosen people, a peculiar people. He is a literal, physical descendant of Father Abraham. And look what he says about who he is in the flesh. Verse four, though I might also have confidence, we have no confidence in the flesh, but if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, Paul says I could. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have wherever he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. You see what he's saying? I mean, if anybody's gonna be impressed with who they are physically, it's me. Watch this now. Man, I check every box, he says. Verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Paul had the best pop, I mean, the absolute highest credentials, the best possible reputation as a rabbi. In birth, in training, he surpasses everyone. Let me give you a cross-reference. We'll look at this next week. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 14. You see his credentials. What about his heart for the things of God? Verse 6 says concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But look at how he viewed all of that, who he was and what he could do in the flesh. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of what things? All things. All things. And do count them but dung. Dung is the, it's, it's one of the terms for poopy. Okay. So who I am in the flesh, poop. What I've done in the flesh, poop. It's all poop. Poop. It's all poop. I count them dung that I may win Christ. Who I am and what I've done in the flesh is nothing compared to who Christ is and what he's done in me. You see the difference? Now this will set you free if you get a hold of that. You know, if anybody could get to heaven based on who their, their pedigree, their character, who they are in the flesh, their religious perfection, it was Paul, and yet Paul was a lost sinner apart from Christ. And when he met Christ, he considered all of his earthly and fleshly attainments, his physical attainments, Ancestry, his physical lineage, his physical pedigree. Poop. I counted it, verse 7. I reckoned it. I did some math. Who I am, it's poop. He measured and took stock of himself and decided all of his religious training, his worldly honors, they weren't worth it because he wanted Christ. All of that's poop. I need Jesus. I've done everything right the right birth, the right heritage, the right religion, right works. Not enough. I want Jesus. That's all that matters. He wanted Christ, he learned Christ, he lived for Christ, and he served Christ to his dying day. So get this down in your notes as we close. The Christian life is liberty in our God, not works in our flesh. Did you get that? The Christian life is liberty in Christ, not what you do or who you are in the flesh. If you follow that path, that's only gonna gonna deliver you into bondage. I mentioned this on a Tuesday night a few weeks ago. Um, and this is why we need to be Biblicists. We don't want to think the way that the world thinks. The way the world thinks and the way the world is fighting today right now in this hour is it's all about your flesh. Who you are in the flesh. What you have in the flesh. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm white. I don't, I don't know if you know this. I'm a white guy. I'm actually, I don't even know what kind of white guy I am. I am as big a mutt as exists on this planet. I am a mongrel, okay? I'm a mongloid. I am, you name it, man. I got, it's, it's in my heritage, okay? But if you just look at, you could tell I'm a white guy. Now, before I was born, nobody came to me and said, Miles, tsk, got a big plan for your life. What color you want to be? Nobody came to me. Nobody checked off on that with me. I didn't, you know, I couldn't tell God, whatever you do, make sure I'm white. Just like Pastor Morgan, I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Morgan is black. Did anybody catch you before you got born, right, before you were birthed into this world and said, uh, what color you want to be? You don't even remember that. You don't even remember being born. I don't remember being born. It's really fuzzy up until about three or four years of age for me, but, and that's pretty fuzzy too. Uh, I didn't pick being white. Pastor Morgan didn't pick being black. You get that, right? Who we are in the flesh is, in one sense, the accident of our birth, but not who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ, oh my goodness, that's everything. Now, I did pick that. Pastor Morgan picked that. Pastor Will, he didn't pick being Latino. He didn't pick make me brown. He thinks he did, but he didn't. Pray for (laughs) Pastor Will. But he picked Christ. My scripture, right, the word of God, God's word says we know no man after the flesh. But oh man, to know one another in the person of Christ, that's everything. That makes us family. See, make no mistake, right, Christian life is liberty when it's in Christ. But if it's based in who you are and what you've done in the flesh, that's only bondage, that's only frustration, Christian life is released to a loving God, not a life of do this or don't do that. But it only works when the Word of God has its way with you. So don't let people steal it. Don't let people ruin it. Right? The Word of God, not who you are or what you do, must rule you. I'd like us to bow our heads. Let's close our eyes as we close out this morning.